So here we are, I was thinking about this. This lockdown and this quarantine began around the time, for all you college basketball fans out there, it began around the time of March Madness. Can you remember that? They were deciding whether they were going to have the big tournament, the big dance, and ended up being canceled due to the coronavirus. That period of time in college basketball is called March Madness. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I feel like I've cycled through March Madness many times way since March. And I don't mean to be insensitive toward this by saying something like that. But I want to say that sometimes you need a little bit of humor and have a little bit of lightness in your heart in order to go through times like we're going through right now. Some people including myself at different times, have said, man, this is terrible. But in contrast to some other people who have actually had tragedy, who have lost loved ones through sickness all around our country and around this globe, it's been hard. The distancing requirements, defining how close we all can come to each other has really taken a toll on all of us, hasn't it? Nobody has been exempt from the burden, the confusion, the fear, the sadness, the uncertainty, and the concern regarding this pandemic and the circumstance, the unrest. So with that said, I want to bring an anchor to us this morning. I want us to go to the Bible that is described by the Hebrew writer as a living and powerful word from God, that it's able to bring encouragement and hope from the Holy Scriptures to our heart. That's what I hope you and I will discover every Sunday, every time from here on out as I start this series. I've started it today titled, Locked in to God's peace. Maybe you feel locked in. Maybe you are in a way. I have people that I know who live in parts of the country where they are in high-rise apartments and there isn't very many places to go. Their family lives in other parts of the country and a lot of their friends are distant. A lot of them don't have many friends. Maybe you feel locked down or down. A lot of people felt depressed, discouraged. And you know what I think about that? I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think that's human. I think that's normal. We're in a very abnormal situation. None of us alive at this point have ever experienced anything like this. I think it's normal to have those kind of feelings, those kinds of emotions that come and hopefully sometimes go away. I want to do a series from Philippians, which someone once called the the letter to the Philippians, God's mental health letter to believers. We're going to walk slowly with hearts wide open, hopefully ears and eyes fixed on the fact that God's peace is real. And God's peace can be close to us. And God's peace, God's peace can rule and have the greatest influence in our heart, in reality. 
Would you pray with me one more time that God would show up right now while we get into his word? Lord, you are Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. We ask you, Lord, to take us now, guide our steps into the pathway we can experience peace. I pray, Lord, that right now your peace would flow into my life, through my life, into people's hearts and into their homes, into our country, into the nations of the world, that you would release a supernatural peace that can only come from your presence. We pray that you'd open our eyes to the wonderful truths in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do a brief reading of the letter of Paul to the Philippians, and, or, if, 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 or if you know the book and you extract from it that you know where Paul wrote it from, if you remove what is, you know that he is in a time of suffering and know what he's facing and you just looked at it and didn't know all that and you read this letter, these four chapters, you would say, wow, this guy's on a sabbatical. He's been away and got refreshed. This guy has to be sunning himself in the Greek islands. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Paul has experienced, when he's writing this letter, he's probably days, weeks, or months from being executed by Nero. And for the past at least 10 years prior to that, Paul has known hardly anything but hardship, beatings, shipwreck, isolation, desertion by close, loyal companions. But when you read this letter, he's writing with joy, with a perspective that we'd all long to have, and a peace in his heart. And what you'll notice that is absent on every page in this letter are the following. Complaining is absent. Heavy critique of the government, it's not there. Or of the emperor, not mentioned. There isn't one political sentence in the entire letter, not one. There's no word about his pains or his problems. He doesn't talk about having any relationship breakdowns between himself and people he's been connected to at the time that he is widely distant. Social distance with Paul was like countries away. Yet he's at peace. But it's a certain unique kind of peace. He's experiencing a special kind of peace. It's the peace of God. Look with me how he describes it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What we just read is near the ending of the letter. And if you've read this letter that far, you know this man is at peace. Now, when I was reading that, I imagined, imagine going and getting on Facebook after you watch this, and here's your post. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, 
and the God of peace will be with you, right? But that's what he said. You know why he said it? Because the Holy Spirit had taught him how to walk in a way to experience, even in lockdown, even locked in, locked up, to live in the peace of God. And what he is saying is, if you will allow the grace of God to touch you like it's touched me, follow my way of following Jesus Christ, and the God of peace will be with you. Look at this verse a few verses before that, in verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, says it like this, I love this. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life with peace. He talks about the God of peace and the peace of God. The peace of God will be with you and it will guard or keep or protect your heart, my heart, your mind, my mind in Christ Jesus. What is God's peace? What is it? My favorite definition of the peace of God comes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he says this, the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. God's peace, and he shares it. It'll rub off on us. God lives in unruffled serenity, infinite happiness, well-composed and fully content, and he wants to share that with you and with me. And Paul had it. You can read it. How can this be? Think about this for a minute. In the early A.D. 50s, probably A.D. 55 perhaps, Paul and his preaching team want to go to Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit tells them no. He tries to go another time, and the Spirit of Jesus holds him back. And then one night in a dream, he has a vision where he sees a man in Macedonia. And the man says, come here and help us. And he concludes that he's being led by the Spirit of God to go to Macedonia. And he lands in Macedonia and comes into the city of Philippi, led by God. And you know what happens from that moment on? Led by God. Paul is led into a path that intensifies his problems, increases his persecution, and he is actually, within the first probably week, severely beaten, almost to death. God led him to that. With a vision. Imprisonment from, from the 50s to when he's writing this letter over a decade, He's known imprisonment. He's known really tough conditions. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to be distant from so many needed family of faith-filled people that would help him so, so tremendously, but they're way far away. Actually, he writes, if it wouldn't be for this Philippian band of people and their generosity in prayers and in financial help, his conditions would be even worse. Yet, this man has shalom. 
That's the Hebrew word for peace, and it means far more than having a tranquil spirit. It goes way beyond that. It means to have a sense of total well-being in and around. How can that be so? He's locked in. He's locked up. But he's locked into something special. He's locked into the peace of God. And it's been that way for a while in his life. And what I'm asking God to do for us, because we need this so desperately right now. You need it, I need it. You know it. I know it. Wherever you're watching this, if you're listening to this, and you live in Colorado or Wisconsin or Florida, you know it too. We need an explicit illumination from the Holy Spirit to show us that he wants to create ways that you and I, though we might be lacking peace, can come into peace and true shalom, even if our circumstances don't change, even if they don't get better for a while, even if they get better for a long while, that he can help us and we can grow in leaps and bounds in the peace of God. How do we live in such a place? Here's your first point. Philippians chapter one. How do we have the peace of God? How do we get locked into the peace of God? I say it this way. A person to person, would you say that? A person to person, Genesis, say Genesis. A person to person, Genesis with Jesus. Philippians one, one and two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God and Jesus Christ. I hope you will indulge me and let me nerd out on this point to make the point. I have to nerd out on it. Here's why. We lose powerful meaning of scripture passages when they're translated from the original language and the Bible, New Testament, was written in Greek, Koine Greek, the street Greek. And even though it's translated for us to understand in English, we lose the dynamic of something grammatically when we don't read it in the original or know how the Greek is written. For instance, in this passage, we don't see the powerful point made when you see how the word Paul, the name Paul, the name Timothy, and the descriptive noun of uh, being a bondservant, you see how it's spelled in contrast to how Jesus is spelled. Paul is spelled in the Greek Paulos, O-S at the end. Timothy is Timotheos, O-S at the end. And bondservant, which means you love somebody so much you bond to serve them. Doulos, O-S. Jesus is not O-S at the end. Jesus is spelled with an O-U, Yesu. In the structure of the sentence, that tells you that Jesus' name is in a case ending called the genitive case. What that means is the, 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 the subject of the genitive case in that sentence is owner and, listen, the originator of every other nominative case in the sentence. Here's what that means. Paul, Paulus, his identity didn't come from himself. It came from Christ. His bondservantness didn't come from him wanting to bond himself. It had a genesis from Jesus. Living in the peace of God means that you and I 
have a person-to-person genesis with Jesus Christ. So see, if you don't nerd out on that, see what you miss? It can change your whole Christian perspective. Let me get, use myself as an example. My son's name is Devin. And there are people in our church who know who Devin is. If you're out in the shopping center somewhere and we're all masked up and maybe you can't necessarily tell somebody who they are up close, and they, but, but somebody goes, hey, there, there's Devin. And I said, who's Devin? That person might say, that's Tim McGregor's son. Or if they're formal, they'll say, that's the son of Tim McGregor. And here's what that means. That's true, but here's what that means. Devin came from my life. Our bond had a beginning genesis. There was a moment when our bond was birthed. And it continues to be bonded within that genesis that keeps on genesis-ing. That's what Paul had. His bondservantness had a beginning, not from himself, from Jesus. So Jesus brings the Genesis option to you and me right now in this crazy world that's absolutely crazy, heavy, hard, unpredictable. And Jesus comes up to us and he says, I would like to bring my life to you. I would like to raise you up into newness of life. See, that's Genesis. I'd like to give you a resurrection identity like I did Saul of Tarsus. And I'd like to be the one that maintains it. And I would like to birth a bond between us that is based on love, not ought, not should, not fear, but it's completely bonded in love. How do we experience that? The same way creation experienced creation. They had nothing until God spoke and the Spirit worked. Paul had nothing. You and I have nothing. Blessed are those who have nothing. They can receive everything from God. We experience it by placing our faith in his offer. And that's how we experience the peace of God. I say it like this. The peace of God is locked in and experienced as we maintain our relationship with Jesus by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is completely different than will-centered Christianity. Willing peace, trying to have peace. Willing commitment, trying to make yourself devoted. Trying to do it through the power of your own strength, through what Paul calls the flesh. In contrast... Knowing that Jesus is willing and comes close to present a powerful offer that if we receive, will create a genesis every time we need it. That's why Paul said this. Watch this closely. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, if you think you have confidence to say you trying to will it up and please God, I have more. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, in other words, taking a look at the 613 commandments that you were, to, in order to, you were to be devoted to in order to be pleasing to God, when it came to that, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. We'll explain that in a minute. For the sake of Christ. 
have to go back to myself, and I use my dad now. Instead of talking about devil, I use, I use my dad. My ability to dribble and shoot a basketball when I was a kid, my ability to hit and throw and catch a baseball, came from my dad passing those abilities from his genetics into my DNA. And once I was born, his approach to me and imparting experience and development to me helped me to grow and develop in those things. And if I would, ever, would have ever just said it was all because of me, I willed it all, I originated it all, that would not be for the sake of my dad. That would be false, it wouldn't be accurate, and it would be dishonoring. Paul had all this zeal and desire to conform to the biblical standard of what he thought was being right with God. He had passion, but nothing ever birthed inside of him. He never experienced it until Jesus came to him. You know that? Paul, because Jesus came to him, was never going to turn the light of the glory back on himself. He was always going to keep it shining on Jesus for Jesus' sake. That way, other people could know they could get it too because, listen, 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 hey, listen, the peace of God is a gift, not an attainment. It comes from the atonement. And it's maintained by the same generous giving God who genesised every good thing in me and you. It's maintained the same way it is attained, by faith, through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna look at the pathways that lead to experiencing peace that Paul says, hey, follow me, watch what I do, look how I do it, and the God of peace, over weeks to come, we're gonna go there. Look in the next verse, verse nine, and, by, and be found in him, be found in him. I wanna be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, that when Jesus comes back and I'm investigated, I don't want Jesus finding me trying to be Christian, trying to be loving, trying to be devoted. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And a lot of scholars today are beginning to say that that actual interpretation should be through the faithfulness of Christ. In other words, Christ's in me faithing this powerful work, not me trying to faith the work. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then verse 10, I want to know Christ. Let me tell you why. He didn't want you to take those words so we would stand back and, and be in awe of Paul's devotion. Wow, man, I wish I could be like that. But I don't love the way Paul, that's, Paul would say that's garbage. That's absolutely garbage. That's not what he means. He says, I want to know Christ, yes. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, Paul is saying this, listen, I can't suffer my way into holiness. I want to identify with Jesus on that cross where my ego and my efforts died with him. I don't ever want to get away 
where my ego takes over and tries to attain, tries to affirm, tries to perform, tries to devote. No, I, want, I don't want that. I, that's what I was. I want to stay in participation in the fellowship of his sufferings and attain the resurrection from the dead. That's how we get raised up, by staying in his death, staying dead in our efforts and coming alive because he suffered. Now watch verse 12 and listen very, very, very closely. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Who took hold of who first? Here's Jesus, Here's Jesus took hold of a striving, religious, listen. Jesus took hold of a striving, self-willed, empty, spirited, religious person seeking passionately to attain righteousness. Saul of Tarsus' pursuit was never gonna bring him joy, peace, hope, or experience the love of God or release the love of God out of his life. When he was in his maddening mania, looking perfect on the outside as a follower of the Holy One of Israel, on the inside he knew he was a wretched man. He tells us that in the seventh chapter of Romans. And at the same time was on a maddening mission to persecute the life and joy out of those new kooks who were following a lying preacher from Nazareth, and that's when Jesus took hold of him with so much grace and mercy that he never could shake it off. It made him want to pursue Jesus. What was the genesis, guilt or grace? In other words, he says, I'm spending the rest of my life pressing on to the pursuit of the one who in mercy and grace took hold of me, wanted me, loved me, forgave me, called me to share all this with him and with you. He's filled me and I'm pursuing him, not from an emptiness, but from a fullness. The fullness of Jesus creates a pursuit of a generous filler from joy to joy, from faith to faith, from peace to peace, from glory to glory, not empty to filled. It means more than living, and that's what it's about. We're going to look at this story in weeks to come. But before Paul ever met Jesus, there were 12 men in a room and Jesus told those 12 men that a storm like nothing they'd ever been through, listen, they were about to go through. And that as they followed on, it would be hard, it would be difficult, it would be strenuous. They would go through pressure. He did, he told them. They would be perplexed, they would have questions, and they would think it's all a mystery. Times would come when in the natural it would be fearful. He told them. He told them this. He told them this over and over again, and their theological mindset kicked it out every time. He even said one time, let this sink down into your hearing. The Son of Man is going to be arrested, betrayed, persecuted, put to death, and rise from the grave. Didn't fit their paradigm. And they would have none of that. So when it all went crazy and upside down, they lost it. 
Yet he told them this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, Christian friend, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I want to close with this. We need to, remember I talked about the OS endings and the, and the Jesus who brings the Genesis? Listen, listen. We need to find our space in the genitive case in order to keep from becoming a basket case. Paul says, I'm locked into Christ and his peace is locked in me. And it's sustaining me in the midst of these circumstances. You can take these points home with you. Number one, don't compare yourself to Paul. Join Paul instead. Number two, don't hide your problems or your pain. Let God's peace find a home in them. Paul had real problems. He wasn't loony. He wasn't living in denial. Hardship, loneliness, he wasn't pretending. He had pain and persecution. And he was alone, but he had God's peace. Number three, don't try to earn God's peace. Let him gift it to you. And finally, the peace of God can only come to those who make peace with God at the cross. The Bible says there is no peace to the wicked. Paul says at one time all of us were separated. Enemies in our minds toward God. Hostile in our ways. But God in his mercy gave Christ to die for us. He died and you have to go to the cross or you will never have peace with God. And if you don't have peace with God, you don't have a chance to have the peace of God. Hey, listen. There are a lot of believers saved, working hard to earn everything Jesus already gave freely. And they'll never have the peace of God, even though they have peace with God and are forgiven of all their sins. Why? Because it's a work. But you, if you've not surrendered to Christ, if you've not confessed, you have not been letting him lead your life. You've lived for yourself. You're not safe. Hey, you're not safe. You're not covered. You don't have any protection because you're not right. And you don't have peace. But with that said, Jesus already paid your price on the cross 
But you have to come to him and have that heart-to-heart time at the foot of the cross. And then you can have peace with God. I want to tell you, there are many who are watching. You know what I know. It was great to have 10 million pounds of soul pressure from guilt and regret of my sin lifted off my life. And it's great knowing the peace that comes from having nothing between me and Jesus. Want to do that right now? Why not? Right now. Are you ready? Right now. The Holy Spirit has already called your name. You knew halfway through this service, the Holy Spirit was saying to you, today's the day for you. I want you for the cross. I want peace on your life, in your life. Would you pray with me from your heart? You have to pray with your heart, not just words. You can pray the sinner's prayer and not become a believer if you just mouth the words. But if you mean it, it's with the heart you believe and get saved. With your heart, you ready? Would you pray? Let's close our eyes, all of us, let's pray. You say this, Lord Jesus, I'm at the foot of the cross to have a heart to heart with you. I've lived for myself, I've known about you. I'm a good person, but you know what? I'm not a godly person. You've not been first. You've not been second. You've not been fifth. You've not been anything. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of being my own boss, my own God, living for me. You didn't create me for that. And I admit it. I admit it. I get real. I confess. I am a godless Man, I'm a godless woman and I'm at the foot of the cross and I'm kneeling in my heart and I'm confessing I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Would you forgive me of all my sins? Lord, I pray for anyone that's reaching out to you right now that the power of the Spirit would lift the burden of of years, 10, 15, 30, 50, 60 years, or the burden of that soul, that hell on the soul, lifted off by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I speak redemption on your life in Jesus' name. That all that enmity would be washed away and you'd make them new. Anyone who is in Christ becomes a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. If you believe it, you're a new creation. And Lord, I pray that now that they have peace with God, I pray the peace of God would fill their soul. And I pray for believers, you and I. I pray that you and I would know the peace of God. We don't know what's next week. We don't know what's next month. We don't know what's coming our way this fall in America or the world. We have to have the peace of God. How do we get it? It's a gift. We cooperate. We co-operate. He does what we could never do, and we do what only we can do. He's the giver. We're the receiver. That's where we're going to go in this series. But for today, I pray for you, believer. I pray for me. I pray for LOH Church and everybody listening. 
Lord, we need a new, Lord, we need a new genesis of the peace of God in our lives right now, in our families, in our church, in our city, in our country, but Lord, in our home, right here, in the circle in which I stand, Lord, I ask for you to genesis again in my life, the peace of God. I need to lean in, help us to lean in and receive by faith the gift. Jesus said, the peace I give, I give by the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit within. Lord, let peace, come on church, right now, wherever you are, let peace rise up inside you right now. Let the peace of God come over you, over your family, over your home. Let, come on, come on. The Holy Spirit is moving. Let the peace of God, the peace of God, the that's this way in heaven. Let the peace of God rise up within you, rest upon you, and remain. The God of peace be with you in Jesus' name, amen.